Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, May 23rd. I do apologize to all of you listeners for the lack of daily updates from the grounds of the 2022 NCAA tournament here in Champaign. I'll be honest, when I'm without super producer Daniel Westoff, inevitably I'm going to screw something up from a tech perspective. The thing I've screwed up this week, apparently my computer doesn't want to connect to Wi-Fi anywhere, not at the Atkins Tennis Center, not in my hotel either. As such, I wasn't able to upload the podcast we recorded here this weekend. So here on Monday, what you're seeing on your podcast feed is a wave of a couple of episodes we recorded while in Champaign. Of course, you're going to be able to hear my thoughts on the quarterfinals and semifinals with our Crack Rackets West Coast correspondent, your co-favorite writer on our website, co-host of The Deciding Point, John Parsons. Now, unfortunately, we weren't able to get that podcast out to all of you before the finals. Nevertheless, if you want to hear some expanded takes takeaways from the ground, some anecdotes, stories of things we both have seen. Uh, go check out that mini break podcast. think it aged pretty well for what it's worth. J- John J. Parsons predictions 2-0 on that podcast as well. So if you want to hear more about the quarterfinals, semifinals, perhaps we didn't talk about your team enough here on this episode, you, we are still going to publish that podcast as a mini break podcast here today. So it's a two mini break Monday for all of you listeners. Nevertheless, again, though, I do want to apologize for the tech difficulties on my end. Of course, we 
also know yesterday, the first day of the 2022 French Open, as many of you can imagine, given the fact we were on the broadcast from 3 p.m. till just about midnight covering these uh, national championship matches for the Tennis One app. Haven't had the chance yet to break down all the round one matches myself. Haven't had the chance to watch any of the French Open, if I'm being honest. So my promise to all of you listeners, tomorrow's show going to be French Open centric. And the rest of the way, we will have daily recaps of all of the action happening in pairs. We'll have one of your favorite guests as well, David Kane, joining us on that podcast to break down all the upsets, all the big takeaways from round one of the year's second Grand Slam. But again, I do apologize for the lack of podcasts. It's busy times right now in the tennis world. And as I just alluded to, yesterday, the 2022 NCAA season comes to a close. We now officially know it's the University of Virginia, University of Texas, earning their fifth and third championships respectively in program history was such an exciting day of tennis, such a high level of action. We have to dedicate a solo podcast to those finals. And of course, joining me on today's podcast once again, as he was also on the grounds here in Champaign, is the man who has helped guide us through this college tennis season, a man you know best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, returning champion here on our Cracked Racket shows. It's our friend, John J. Parsons. Jay. Welcome back to the program. Apologies, you had to sit through another three-minute introduction. I'm sure you're used to it at this point. Championship Sunday now officially in the books. How are you feeling, my friend? I'm good. I got to have one correction, though. Okay, Texas what? Longhorns fourth. Fourth, yes, yep. you're right. They won, what, 93-95? Oh, duh, and last, last year. year. Yeah, duh. <laughs> you're right. Uh, unforced error. That's my fault. I knew it was four as I was saying it, but maybe I just blended these two seasons together, but I didn't mean to cut you off. You're correct. Fourth championship for Texas, fifth for Virginia. It's a pretty good day of tennis. It was a great day of tennis. Um, two incredible performances from two, you know, blue blood programs. It was interesting. We talked about new blood versus blue blood earlier in the season. You see, look at Kentucky and Oklahoma, both making their first program history, first program final in history, uh, taking on Texas and Virginia. Ultimately, don't come away with the title. But, I mean, it was great to see new faces, right? We talked about it earlier on the other pod, um, just see new teams, new faces. And ultimately, I thought both programs in Texas and Virginia you know, had very professional performances in those finals um, and, and ultimately looked like the teams that had been there before. Yeah, I mean, again, that was one of the big things we want to talk about on today's show is what separated these two teams. You look for a University of Virginia program that dropped one point in the NCAA tournament, not a match, you know, one singular point in that 2022 NCAA tournament. Quite frankly, you just don't see that Ever from any of these teams, as dominant as Florida was. Yeah, more last or less year. impressive than Florida's not dropping a singles point last year. Well, that was the thing is they still dropped doubles points, yep. and yes, their depth shined through, and ultimately they had the NCAA singles champion on their roster in Sam Riffis. You could see the talent oozing out of Ben Shelton last season. We all know what he's gone on to do this year. I think this year's Virginia team was more impressive though, because I think we knew going into last year's NCAA tournament. Florida, Baylor, they were your two favorites, right? Florida runs through another undefeated SEC season. Now, certainly they lost that SEC tournament match to Tennessee, which put Tennessee on that tier. But, I mean, for the Gators, I mean, not, excuse me, not for the Gators, but for the Cavaliers to come to Champaign as the number seven seed, they were 0-5 against the teams that were also joining them in the quarterfinals that they had played. And to drop one point throughout the course of the weekend here in Champaign. This is as impressive of an NCAA tournament run as we'll see. And on the flip side, and again, I know I'm getting putting the 
cart horse ahead of the cart here uh, a bit in our order of operations, but that's just the sort of week it's been here, folks. The brain scrambled in all different sorts of ways. You should ask. I told Jay earlier today we're recording this 3:22 Eastern time here on uh, on Wednesday. See, on Monday it was about 11. 11.15 when I finally came across Jay on the grounds here of the first day of individuals. I'm like, Jay, I got to go say one hello to Carter Lynn. I'll come back in 10, 15 minutes. I was gone, what, an hour? Hour and a half? It's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I lost track of time. Yeah, exactly. It's that sort of day here on the grounds. But on the Texas side, again, I, and I know I've, I've said this anecdote to just about everyone. You're probably sick of hearing it. If you play this NCAA tournament this week 10 times, I think on the men's side, Florida probably wins twice with how well they're playing. Virginia probably wins twice, and then everyone else maybe gets a title, just depending on if things break, and we can debate that later. (laughs) On the women's side, it legitimately, you know, coming into this NCAA tournament, all eight teams absolutely had a shot to capture the national championship. And I could argue what Texas did was more impressive than Virginia because simply put, in in a time of all of this parity, they were a, you know a clear cut ahead a, a, ahead of the rest of the field in my opinion. Like to see them separate themselves here in Champaign, whether it was indoors, whether it was outdoors, they were the team that clearly looked like the defending national champions. Right? Florida blinked in that quarterfinals. At no point here in Champaign did Texas blink. So again, we're getting it into it right away here. Which was the more impressive run for you? Uh, I mean, overall run, it was definitely Virginia, okay. right? I mean, Virginia was more dominant, in, in my opinion. I mean, they were going to win some of these matches either 6-1 or 7-0, and that wouldn't have been the case for, for the Texas women. I also think the pathways that the Virginia men had were, you know, were larger than the Texas women. I think the Texas women found three points every match, and it was doubles and two freshmen, Zainalova and Zamaripa. You go down the list from one through six, and it was feasible for Virginia to take any single one of those matches if they needed to. So yeah. for me, it just the it was more of a comprehensive performance from the Virginia men than it was Texas women. I think, but that's also a credit to the rest of the women's teams who I think were were right there behind them. Absolutely, that Virginia separated itself so much from the field was the biggest takeaway and the most notable thing. And of course, we want to talk about that, talk about the mechanics of each finals. Of course, before we do that, I have to give a shout out to our friends over at Tennis Point. And you all know the deal, tennis-point.com for the latest and greatest equipment, appliances in the tennis world. You name it, they've got it. No matter the brand, you're going to be able to find it on that tennis-point.com website. I'll say this, a lot of Yonix rackets here across the grounds. I feel like they have taken off. And by the way, Yonix, not Yonix, because it's Yoni Yonix, who the knit company is named after If you've listened to our Tennis Point Tuesdays, of course, you're familiar with that fact. It does feel like Yonix has taken over, right? Like, I think that's – obviously, you see a lot of Babs, Bab a lot. I think Wilson still has a foothold here as well. Fewer heads, a lot of Yonix action. That's a huge takeaway. I'm not as much of a gear head as the rest of you guys. But, no, I mean, that was noticeable. It used to be – Pretty much Babylon and Wilson exclusively. Right? Yeah, I agree. You either then, played with the orange, uh, the black and green Wilson, whatever that's right, called, yeah. or you played with some sort of the pure drive, yeah, the arrow, whatever drive, it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and y- Yonix, yeah, um, has, has definitely taken off. I haven't seen many Wilson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely a takeaway on the gear. Side. I'm trying to think, Cam Mora plays no Babylon. Um, I, I saw a Wilson. Maybe it was Scotty who has the Wilson. Maybe, but yeah, I think Wilson, that's the yeah. one. But yeah, see, this is where my brain is at going like individuals. Now I can name the rackets, folks. That's how <laughs> locked in we are right now. But no, Babylon's still probably number one. 
Yonix might be in that number two spot. And, of course, maybe you want the Babolat. Maybe you want the Yonix try something new. Maybe you're a Wilson person, a head person. Whatever it may be, you're going to be able to find it on tennis-point.com. And when you check out, because you're inevitably going to make our purchase, use a, our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point. Simple, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, I don't anticipate today's episode will be the longest of episodes. Again, if you want to hear some extended takeaways from the semifinals, the quarterfinals, check out the Mini Break podcast Jay and I recorded yesterday, but will also be posted here today. Let's start with the men's final. 4-0 victory for the University of Virginia. They almost won 5-0 for the second consecutive round (laughs) as well as Ryan Getz was on match point at the number four single spot. And maybe this is a nerdy moment, but Jay, I think you'll appreciate this as well. Wasn't the highlight of the announcement of the all-tournament team when they announced the number four single spot and they announced Francois Musatelli of Kentucky as he was down match points to Ryan Getz and all of us were like, wait, looking at the score, but like, huh, huh, that one's a head scratcher. But again, you look for this Virginia team, dominated the doubles point. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't particularly close. And no. again, that's three consecutive doubles points for this Virginia team who clinched it, what was that, 7-5 or 7-6 against Florida. And, you know, again, dominated fairly comfortably in that semifinal against the Tennessee team that oh, has yeah. two doubles teams into this NCAA tournament and a Monday and Walner pairing that had lost just once together at the number three and spot. played them indoors. Absolutely. And played them indoors precisely. And again, Virginia uh, wins that doubles point comfortably. And then you look yesterday, Gianni Ross, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, 6-1 over Liam Draxel and Alexander LeBlanc. They never allowed Draxel to become the energizer bunny, to make them, you know, to bring in the intangible qualities that make Draxel such a special college tennis player. Ross and von der Schulenberg shut that down right away, just made a million terms, a million balls in play. I said this on the broadcast. It was ruthless efficiency at the three spot. And then at that number two spot, talk about energy. Ryan Getz, in Yaki Montez, on paper, you would lean towards the Diallo Lapidot pairing. You've got the All American, six foot seven Diallo, plus the lefty in Lapidot, who, by the way, fairly comfortable moving forward himself. And just guessing in Yaki, put so much pressure on them. They made the, the, the returns they needed. And simply put, you know, Botser and Rodesh were up an early break on one as well. Virginia came out the looser of the two teams, and they out-executed Kentucky in doubles. Now, again, Kentucky went 0-3 in doubles yeah. on the weekend. That was a point Virginia had to have. But how routine they made it look, it, it, didn't, it didn't feel like your standard Kentucky doubles point loss because they had been competitive earlier this week. Except Ohio State, maybe <laughs> yeah, less so. But I guess, yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit more. Well, they won a set against TCU, there is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, like, again, I thought this was the worst of the doubles points Kentucky played, sure. and Virginia just smacked them. Yeah, I think the big thing there was there was a good Kentucky contingent here yes, yesterday, yes. right? It's within driving distance, what, four, four and a half hours? This is the last time I'll cut you off, I swear. I made the comment on the broadcast that I was like, oh, this Virginia, I, I think the Virginia crowd is louder. I think it's 60-40 Virginia, and Mike said, no. Body count-wise, it's 70-30 Kentucky, but right now, noise level wise it's 70 30 virginia the reason i bring that up there were more kentucky fans here than virginia fans yeah there were absolutely more kentucky fans they had the pom-poms they had yeah. the emoji thing yeah. and they, you know they were going um hard i think the virginia fans who were here though were extremely engaged very knowledgeable about college tennis they're callous they're like they're like <laughs> we've been here before it's nice to be back exactly and i think this was a new experience for a lot of kentucky fans who yeah. did make the trip um they also the virginia fans i think we can say this they started the tailgate 11 a.m for the 3 p.m match <laughs> they were 
ready to go. They were ready to go. Then they knew what they were getting themselves into. And they knew how to cheer. Like, yes. the Pedroso brothers should have been on the most uh, all-tournament team. Like, who are the best <laughs> fans? 100% the Pedroso brothers. We'll get into the Ty Kwiatkowski, Liam Draxel, brouhaha. It wasn't really a brouhaha. It's more of a tiff than a brouhaha. But you're right. The Virginia fans were excellent. Yeah, well, and the reason I bring that up is because Virginia coming out so strong and doubles kind of muted any momentum that those Kentucky fans could have and pretty much quieted both the Kentucky team and their fans in that mm-hmm. doubles point. And that sapped a lot of the energy. And I think I don't think Kentucky expected to win the doubles point, but by that in that fashion, you know, you're immediately put on your back foot. Well, again, it, it with perspective, it makes what Kentucky accomplished making their first NCAA final in program history that much more impressive because they won about 60% of their individual double sets this season. They also were six and, or I think in the end, seven and 15 at that number six singles position. Your hand is tied behind your back. You're essentially against a good team in particular starting down 2-0. Yep. And for this Kentucky team to make the final with that match calculus, and we talked about it in the previous pot I keep alluding to, what Mercer just winning that second set against Luchanik at six did for everyone else on the Wildcats roster. But against this Virginia team in particular, it was, it was the fashion in which Virginia won that doubles point, to your point. They had the additional confidence, and they're just playing too well, one through six, where uh, even though Kentucky was able to find one through four against their two prior opponents, you just felt like in, after Virginia won that doubles point, there was no digging out of that hole for Kentucky, even though they had done it in the two previous matches. Yeah, it felt like a an impossible hill to climb yeah. and, and it proved to be yeah. um, but you know it was a fun stat I mean the the winner of the team title last three years prior to, to uh, yesterday had actually lost the doubles point yeah. um, sure. so I was going hey maybe this favors uh, Kentucky but uh, was not to be and then coming out in singles uh, I thought Kentucky started strong and a lot of those first sets that they need that they needed but then across the board there were just positions where Virginia was too strong can I push back sure you should say no um Diallo was the one that killed him because Diallo went down an early break to Iñaki Montes. Yeah, Yeah, right away got broken. And, you know, again, for Kentucky, one, two, three, four. That's how they beat TCU in the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. They were going to beat Ohio State uh, 6-1, but that's how they got their official wins in the semifinals as well. Diallo goes down an immediate break. And, you know, to your point, you're absolutely right. Liam Draxel, 6-2 first set of a road dash. He brought the Kentucky fans back to life. And it was a little two-court blip. It was him on one. It was Milan. On Hurrian on three Which as well. Which was kind of where I was centered, so I'm yeah. a little biased, and then I came out strong. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get that. You're absolutely right. And Hurrian takes a 6-2 set as well, and you thought to yourself, okay, yep. there's a foothold. The problem is, again, Montez, 6-2 first set, he breaks Diallo right out the gate. Yep. And we should point out, this was the first match. Either, I don't know, Kentucky played their first match outdoors, I should have said. Virginia played their first match outdoors as well. Yep. But we've been, you know... jockeying back and forth, I should say, between indoors and outdoors. And certainly it did feel like in the doubles in particular, some of those overheads, the high floating volleys, the one indoors in perfect conditions, you can just snap the living hell out of. It was a little harder to do that when you moved outdoors and you could kind of see that for Diallo right away. But again, other than those two courts, it's the fashion in which Virginia won their four first sets in singles. Six, two from Montez, six love from Gatsu. 15 minutes it yeah. took him to knock off Musatelli. That fast, uh, that set went so quickly. And then, again, Botzer, one, uh, 6-1 first set. He ends up winning 1-1 one one in under an hour. Yeah. And it was just – it was 2-0 Virginia so quickly. It ended up being, all right, what can Kentucky steal? Where can they come back? Yep. Because it just, again, with how relentless Montez was – 
it, it, you started playing the math in your head, and you know Gianni Ross, Josh Lapadat at five, Lapadat was seventeen and one, uh, two, excuse me, at that number five position coming into the match. Gianni Ross has lost just two matches all year as well. That's strength on strength, but give me the fifth year senior yeah. in Gianni Ross who ultimately grinds out that six four first set, yeah. and that felt like the nail in the coffin. I agree. That was the one that you're going. If you're not getting two and you're not getting four. Then well, because I think you're. Th- well, I'm gonna. I disagree on four because by the time that si- that six zero set went so fast, yeah. and at that point Musatelli was up a break, I think, for the majority of that second set, and so you thought, okay, that could be the third point. Where the hell are we going to find the fourth point? Yeah, and that's where five. Sorry, yeah, that's where five really screws point, him. Yeah, number five was. Lo- it was competitive it in that varied. first set yes. until I think Gianni pulled through in those last few games. Yeah. And that one, you're like, okay, we're still in that one yes, if you're a Kentucky exactly. fan. Exactly. Yep. And that was the problem is, what else are we still in? Right. And it's like, you know, because Musatelli's doing his thing, but after uh, after Lapidot loses that first set to Ross, you're just you're scoreboard chasing yep. the entire time. And again, yep. you could tell Liam Draxel, who is up a set and a break, and, you know, at one point uttered, how does this guy play number one singles about Chris Rodesh, which, not the classiest thing in the world, but... Anyone who's arguing that Liam Draxel is bad for college tennis, and I don't think anyone is, but if you are arguing that, you're stupid. Because, God, the energy Draxel brings, the excitement with which he plays, the way he engages the crowd and makes them a part of the match, college tennis needs that. Especially because tennis traditionally, not the most engaged fans, mm-hmm. not the rowdiest of the bunch. He knows how to bring out that from them. He knows how to get the energy that college that brings out the best environment in college tennis. And Yeah. You know, Draxel, it's interesting because he's up a set and a break, and he says that. And then Ty Kwiatkowski, who I think we can say on the record, lifts up his right hand and shows the four rings that he was showing off, his singles ring, his three team rings, and says, you're never going to get one of these (laughs) to Liam Draxel directly. It kind of broke Draxel. Like, it kind of got in his head. You also look again. Not only does he, you know, Rodesh get that break back. You look for Milan Hurry, and uh, as we see Juan Carlos Aguilar, I give him a little fist pump. He ultimately got his victory uh, over Alex Kotzen. All right, he must have if he's off court already, right? We haven't been up here for that yeah, long. And so congratulations, yeah, to Juan Carlos Aguilar. It was just everywhere because Montez got the early break again in set number two of yeah. Diallo. Von der Schulenberg had taken a break lead against Milan Hurrian, who kept fighting back and kept getting the break back, but he was trailing for the majority of, of that second set. set. Yeah. So Rodesh gets the break back in his level. Hurrian is broken. Von der Schulenberg levels things. And then everyone's running away. Again, Barbotzer, one in one victory. Yeah, at the number six single spot. Now, I said at the start of the season, and I'm sorry to keep badgering this horse, uh, I said at the, I was so loud there that Brian Kenyako, who's on the opposite side of the building, just looked at us and goes, oh, there's Gruskin, uh, and sent us some love. That's funny. Sorry, folks. I'm distracted. Jay's like, I'm so used to we this We really should have mixed up these Yeah, I know. Time, we we literally said this yeah. yesterday. That's so silly. Gruskin's looking at the door. Everyone's walking by. Yeah, I can't help it. Um, To get back to it, Botzer, who was not in shape at the start of the season. And I said that to him, so I don't mind saying it here on this program as well. He was a different player. This uh, He was a completely different player this week in Champaign. And to have him at the number six single spot, which I said at the start of the year, the best version of this Virginia team means the sophomores have all progressed to the point where they don't need Barr at one, two, or three, where he is the luxury piece that comes in and play, you know, the gunslinger at six who's just doing his thing. They got that from him. Again, when you were painting the script and you go back to our preseason conversation about Virginia, 
all of the sophomores take a step forward. Well, Rodesh at one was play, played Shelton even. He played Draxel even. That's he played a step. Walton even. He played Walton even. That's a step forward. Yeah, exactly. Third set with all in all three of his matches, yeah. he did not lose, which yeah. we talk about the value of that. Did he lose? He didn't lose. Did to not lose. He did not lose to Rodriguez either. I mean, that's quite the. He didn't lose. Yeah, throw. exactly. Yeah. Montez beats Riffis, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Beats Diallo, which is ridiculous. Beats Monday. Indoors for Monday. All straight sets. Yeah, all didn't drop a set. That's sophomore improvement. And then, in my opinion, the best of the group right now is Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, who got his point. You know, again, this is how I say it is. Rodesh has the upside. Mm-hmm. Montez has the energy. Von der Schulenberg's the best tennis player of the bunch right now. I just think he has the most complete game and, like, justified at three. And he, you know, ultimately clinches in three sets against Vale. Yep. He... He went against Tennessee. He did against Emil Hutt, right? Yes, Straight set did. victory yeah. for him there. And then uh, also he has, yeah, it, again, he's in the third against Hurrian. And I don't think he was going to lose that match with yeah. just the well, way things getting were the split trending. Was huge. Yeah, exactly. Just staying alive there was everything. Again, just was the nail in the coffin, the proverbial coffin. They put, guess was at match point. Yep. Johnny Ross won like 11 straight matches to end the season. Championship number five. And this is the key factor as we look big picture. Not a single member of this of this roster. Maybe Will Woodall, but I don't I don't think so. I think his first year was 17-18. You can let me know if I'm wrong. But I don't believe a single member of this roster was on a Brian Bowman team. Every single person on this Virginia roster was brought to the program by Andreas Pedrosa, yep. who took takes over the job and goes 15 and 14 in his very first season. Now let's be clear. Carl Soderlin, Henrik Wiersholm, who would have played in the top two of that lineup in the next year, come back and help lead the team back to the quarterfinals. They were injured. They were out for the season. But he goes 15-14 and 14 in year one. Four years later, five years later, whatever it may be, he is now a national championship-winning head coach. And obviously to come back in Champaign, a place where Virginia has the fondest of memories, <laughs> Brian Boland finally gets over the hump. The program finally secures that dramatic Adrian Puget's foot touches the net match point uh, 4-3 victory over UCLA back in 2013. As... As fantastic as that run was, I was joking around, by the way, with Sanam Singh earlier, the Harvard assistant coach. I was like, yeah, but I'd still take the 11 team. Um, that said, with all of that in mind, like this, this was the more impressive run, and it wasn't particularly close. This group was exceptional and just, again, cannot give enough credit uh, to what we saw from the Virginia Cavaliers, who were the best team in Champaign, and now they're five-time national champions. Yeah, I mean— Totally agree. It was the most dominant run, right? And yeah. so if that's a euphemism for impressive, then absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, just top to bottom, right? I mean, yeah. and you had that interesting mix of those three sophomores at top and then the three upperclassmen yeah. at, at bottom. And you're right about Barr. I mean, just that experience, that know-how, to clinch a national championship for a week, to be playing at six, like... That was pretty much never in doubt. He rocked J.J. Mercer. Yeah. Like, again, Mercer just didn't have the weapons. Barr was locked in. Any yep. ner- you know, Barr was up 5-0, whatever, in about six minutes. Yep, exactly. Which just adds to the pressure of Kentucky, knowing that they yeah. need to sweep those, you know, one through four, basically. Yeah. And Johnny Ross, I mean, pretty poetic for him. He was kind of in this drought, if you will, for the Virginia Cavaliers of not winning an NCAA title. Comes back for his fifth year. Was one of Andre's first recruits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and gets that clinch victory. So it was an incredible performance for the Cavaliers. They had all of the 
all the alums out there, as you mentioned, Ty had his rings. Um, <laughs> but overall, just really impressive for Pedroso and, and all these guys. And they're pretty much all come back. Yeah, that's right. The, I mean, five of the six starters come back in singles. I think that's the scariest part as you look for it. Yes, Barbotzer is coming back <laughs> for another year. Yeah. And again, there are some teams. You look at what Tennessee's done even today on the transfer portal. Mm. Ken Hunter, Boris Kozlov, Bicknell will be eligible. Brockatelli sure. coming in from Purdue. Michigan brings back all the guys as well. But... Yeah, I mean, this Virginia team is bringing back a nucleus that just won a national championship. And again, sophomores in Rodesh, in Montez, in Von der Schulenberg, there's still more there, uh, in my opinion, to be had. And look, I mean, on the flip side, Kentucky, who is annexing Canada, Tahabadi <laughs> transferring from Wake Forest, coming to school. And, you know, again, they announced today, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Alafiaini from uh, Cornell. He's yep. coming uh, to Kentucky. They also announced today Christophe Clement, another, you know, top 10 Canadian junior commits to the program. Kentucky's going to bring back everyone but Hurion and Musatelli. And I think that nucleus still, of assuming everyone's back, Draxel, Diallo, 1-2. I'll take them as my 1-2 as well, you know, even with a Rodash or a Montez. And I'll take them as my top two as as much as any top two you're going to find in the country. I think for this Kentucky team, I mean, again, Lapidot's back. I know Zemmel's out as well. He's transferring. That was announced. But you bring in an Alafia to, to play that Hurrian role. You feel really good about your top three once again. You still have Lapidot at the bottom of your lineup. Another year of experience for J.J. Mercer. Was this like a year early? I mean, again, no doubt for this Kentucky team. Sure, you're disappointed to have lost the championship. It's an unequivocal victory for Cedric Kaufman. First semifinal, first final. And if we're talking about power rankings of the speeches post-match, Cedric Kaufman, the conviction in his voice saying, this is not the last time you will see us, was the most powerful, in my opinion, my favorite line that I heard from any mm. coach. Obviously, Audra Cohen is as good of a speaker yeah. as we're fine. We'll talk about that in a second. But I believed it, is what I'm trying to say. With the conviction in his voice, the effort of these Wildcats, all weekend long, they played like they belonged. Mm-hmm. And that's an intangible quality when you watch as much college tennis as you and I do. You just can't fake. And I think for this Kentucky team moving forward, assuming they bring everyone back, that's what you get from this season is, hey, no, 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 no. We used to flirt in the Sweet 16. We're done with that. Elite eights, semifinals, putting ourselves in position for conference and national championships. That's where this program's ready to be. Yeah, you mentioned feeling like you belong, and I think that's very true for that Virginia team. Yeah. Not to, to switch the focus back, but I think getting that win over Florida gave them the belief. It was everything. That, exactly. Yeah. They go 0-5 against these teams to get that win over Virginia, uh, Florida and say, you know what, we belong here. We can do this. And then it was kind of smooth sailing at that point from there. But look, the Kentucky team unequivocally is a success. They had the belief. They feel like a true team. And if, if you don't take you know, Coach Kaufman's words for it, take Coach Pedroso, right, who had such complimentary things to say about the Kentucky program, um, and who I thought had a really good line around, you know, if you don't, if you're not operating like a team, you don't get to this point. And you felt like that, you know, they had some vulnerable spots, right, and they had mm-hmm. to come together, and, you know, you don't get to the finals without, um, you know, really believing like you belong and, and performing like that. The issue was there was nothing for Kentucky yesterday to rally around. Like, yes, Draxel won his first set. Yes, Hurrian won his first set. But again, on f- on four and six, 
you won one collective game yeah. in the first sets that you played. And, yeah. you know, again, I, I just think three and five, or, or excuse me, on court number five was tough for them always because Gianni in the fifth year in his final match, just how relentless he is. I mean, that matchup with Lapidot was very good tennis, but you're going to take Gianni in that match just yep. given the experience advantage. And again, Everyone, everyone asked Gianni. He was very funny about it. He's like, God, you guys all just want to know what it's like to be Andreas's first recruit. He was really funny <laughs> in his answer to that question. But talking to him after the match, he made it a point to say, look, I was a part of that 15 and 14 season. To be honest, not that much changed. Like, yeah, did we get the superstar sophomores? Absolutely. Are we healthy now? Absolutely. That's really it. This is the culture. These are the fundamentals and the foundation Andreas mm-hmm. set back in that 17-18 season. Wow. Again, to him, Scott Brown, Brian Rasmussen, who comes in for this event to serve as the volunteer assistant after not serving as it this season. And, you know, he gave a shout-out to Trett Huey, who my favorite moment of the broadcast is, uh, you know, I was talking with Mike Cation, and he was talking, Trett Huey came up somehow, and, I, and he was slandering Trett's singles game. Oh, because we were talking about the Southeast Asia games, mm. and I believe he just won the gold in the doubles and the bronze in the mixed. And I was like, was it singles? And he goes, now Trent's playing singles? I was like, hey, that's your 2019 National Indoor Champion clinching singles player in Trent Huey. All of that's irrelevant. This Virginia team feels like those teams have passed, where you have a core that has already experienced success, and they're ready to experience success in the future. Again, final thoughts. Virginia wins championship number five. Did we miss anything in breaking down that match? No, I don't think so. I mean, you're right. They kind of all come back. It feels similar to 2015-ish, right? And now that you have that belief, we saw it um, work for the Texas women. Can I ask you one other opinion-related thing? Sure. If you're the person who's reading off the roster as they're handing out the trophies to the Virginia team, you realize you forgot to say Jackson Allen. Yeah. Is it more humiliating to then come back afterwards and say, whoopsies, we forgot Jackson Allen. Like, I actually think you should have just, just do nothing. Then to just not do anything. No, I don't, I think they needed to, okay, they okay. Needed to say something. Because I almost was like, eh, like, maybe next time just don't, I'd be like, no. I'll take the trophy or do no. it. No, and again, credit to Coach Pedroso and Scott Brown who made it a point to say, guys, don't forget Jackson Allen. And again, we're not forgetting you here, Jackson, either. And it's people like him, like Alex Kiefer and, you know, again, go on and on down the list of the bench players will Woodall and you know for the rest of my life I'll hear UVA go who's go and I'm just gonna start going dun 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 great Gatorade bath of Andreas I'm just trying to think any final thoughts that was amazing beautifully done if you're gonna execute the celebration like that perfectly executed yeah and for those that missed it they planned a photo for him in front of the big signage and then they were right behind the fence with the um with the Gatorade do you think you saw it coming he looked really surprised, I thought. I know, but I think that was just an Academy Award-winning performance. Really? Yeah, I think he sold it. Like oh, he crazy. sold me. I, well, I, I also was... just think he was the surprise of being freezing. Oh, that was the shock? Yeah, Not like, that it was oh coming. my God, yeah. I'm cold. Yeah, yeah it was cold. Because I think he saw it coming, if I'm being honest. Um, but again, credit to the Who's. Well-deserved title. Final thoughts on Kentucky? Just because I don't, I don't know. I feel like we get, again... The fight they showed. The issue was there was no connective threat. You one never felt. You never felt the energy from one translate all the way down to five and six. It, no, and it for was, Kentucky, yeah. that's when they play their best. Is when they are connected. That said, you know, again, if we're looking at the outlook over the next year, two years, if you bring back Draxel and Diallo, you add an Alafia to the mix. Foundationally, that's a really good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. they're gonna have all the pieces. Are they sure. the favorites right now entering the SEC next season? Or is it Tennessee? Ooh. It's um, probably Tennessee now, right? Well, I, I or like, South Carolina, who brings back everyone. Yeah, but I like I like Kentucky's top three over 
Tennessee's. You know what's crazy is the top five next year, it still might be a definitive top five in the SEC, but we may swap out Florida and swap in A&M because Georgia should still be really good next year. Although, yeah. Lou Stewart, McCormick, and, McCormick. and Bride. Bride's coming back. Oh, he's got one more? Mm-hmm. Thank God. He, his, he deserves a better ending to his career than yeah. whatever happened this season. <sighs> It'll be interesting. I mean, they're in the mix, right? Yeah. Speaking of the SEC, though, Virginia is the champion of the SEC. Yeah. Uh, well, they would argue, what about the early season losses? Yeah, they're like, no, we lost well, a lot of Big I mean, when you loss. go through South Carolina, win. Florida, win. Tennessee, Tennessee win. Kentucky. Kentucky, win. That was their pathway. That was their pathway. Wouldn't have handled us Big Ten schools, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank no, God they avoided that. Yeah, you got lucky. Um, yeah, all right, let's do this quickly then on the men's side. Top eight. Who were the eight most impressive teams that we saw this weekend in Champaign? Just final thoughts on those men's team events, because obviously the draw dictates when you play when. Yeah. I still think Florida was the second best team I saw. I, I still think if there's no lightning delay and Riffis closes out that 6-2 first set in which he was up 5-2 on in Yaki Montez, I think we're talking about Florida today as the national champions. I wouldn't go that far, okay. but I would say that the winner of that match is the national champion. Yes, yes, very, very true. And they played Virginia. The, they were playing Virginia the closest. I mean, Riffis is up 5-2. I think Goodyear was going to beat Botzer, and they were deep in the third set on serve around 5-all or 5-4. I actually think Botzer had just gotten broken, if memory serves me. It was 5-4 yeah, I think it was 5-4 Goodyear, yeah. for sure. Um, Shelton would have won that match against Rodesh if he needed to. There was just a gear he found in the first set when he needed that breaker. And to well, they see needed him, him in the there. second set. He didn't find that gear. Yeah, but I think at that point he's scoreboard watching, and the match is getting away from Duarte fast. And, you know, Gianni, a dominant win. Or not dominant, but he put the win on the board over Seymour. Sam had lost at that point, and just the shock of Sam losing to anyone, uh, let alone a guy in Montez, who that's a matchup. Again, he was up 5-2. Well, they, yeah, that was one they, had, they thought they had in the bag. I think Florida's my second. Uh, I would put I that number two. I agree. Yeah, all right. Three is where things get interesting. Do you go Kentucky? I went Kentucky. Okay. Most impressive teams. I mean, just the way that they threaded the needle, right, mm-hmm. without doubles, without six, um, and ran through that side of the draw. Yeah. I go Kentucky as well. To okay. lose two doubles points and make the uh, three doubles three. points, but but two before making the five. To lose the two doubles points on in en route to the final and yep. still find yourself in the final and one two three four like i know i mentioned this yesterday shabazz damajan and sanam singh did not go undefeated in all of their ncaa tournament play right and that had three number one players in the country <laughs> at one two and three they didn't even do you know quarterfinals against stanford thatcher and Klon beat damajan and shabazz yep. like no one does that, is what I'm trying to say. Even Florida last year, it wasn't always one, two, three, four. It was Goodger at six. It was Bicknell at five. It was, or at four, excuse me. Obviously, Shelton at five by the end of the season. We've seen depth win championships. Aragoni, Weirsholm, year after year after year for those Virginia teams. It's never one, two, three, four. Right. And again, that's a testament to Francois Musatelli, who brought his best, to, you know, he, him being all tournament team down match point feels funky. He's deserved a two and oh beat Fernley and, you know, gets the win uh, the next day over, not Tracy, but Van Emberg as well. Just did what his team needed him to do. I think Kentucky's three. Yep. This is where it gets interesting. Who's four? I go Tennessee. <sighs> I mean, their win over Baylor was so impressive. Walton being down 5-3 yep. in the third set to win that match. Shinsuke Mitsui for the freshman to clinch. They were so flat, though, in the semifinals against Virginia. And someone phrased to me is they use so much energy to beat Baylor. Who, yeah, you again, said that. The biggest, oh, that was me. No, no, but <laughs> someone said that to me. And I think oh, you I, just repeated it yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought I told you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Steal people's wisdom. As yeah. Don't tell anyone. Okay. Westoff, cut all of that. <laughs> um, no, leave it in. Um, 
someone was talking to me and they thought, and I thought it was a very good take. That's why I stole it for myself. It. Um, yeah, because I think we did talk about that, <laughs> correct? But they were that good against Baylor. Like, again, their back was against the wall and their energy and their camaraderie. It was the little things. I know our semifinalists are one, two, three. Well, I guess quarterfinalists. We threw in a Riffis there. Uh, we threw in a Florida at two. Yeah, I think Tennessee four. I would put Baylor at five. Like, again, I think Baylor was more impressive than Ohio State. I think if Baylor wins that match against Tennessee, I think they do take a point off Virginia. I think there are matchups there that would have been advantageous for them. I think Soto versus – I think Montez versus Soto would have been fantastic. Excuse me, fantastic, fantastic tennis. Again, like, Baylor should have beaten Tennessee. Boyton is serving for the match at 5-3. They had their chances, and they just weren't able to come through the finish line. They were the team I test-wise I thought was the fifth-best team here. Yeah, they weren't my number five. I imagine it was Ohio State. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, okay. They're Ohio State's six for me. I mean, okay. what would be the case? I mean, look, I thought they looked good against Michigan. They came out Very super, good right? singles, like, but yeah. they got smacked in doubles. That would be, like, my default. Yeah, but to come out that way yeah, in singles after true, getting smacked, true. right? Um, and to deal with the elements of coming indoors, which should— basically equally favor them. as yeah. um, And Tracy at three looked great against Fenty. Kingsley looked great again at one. So I thought they were my, uh, they were number five for me. But yeah. My the, thing is it moved indoors. Like the Tennessee-Baylor match was outdoors in horrifying conditions. And so that to me would, would be yeah. why I put them a spot above. Yeah. It's less about the quality of play though because I think I'm factoring in that in and more yeah. about just like the responses and, Fair. you know, like Boyton losing 5-3. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. No, but that's why to me they're five because they should have been better than they were. Like again, that's why like ahead of Ohio State. Ohio State, I mean, to, to, here's the thing. You win doubles against Kentucky, a team you have beaten 4-0, mm-hmm. and you lose, like, you likely were to lo- about to lose six singles matches, maybe five of them, maybe Luchonic finds a way to come yeah. back at six, but you're down 5-0 at five. Like, they were going to put five points on the board on you. Yeah. A team you had beaten 4-0 at home in dominant fashion. Yeah. I have to knock them. I have to knock them to six. Yeah, but they got there, right? Yeah, and but they— Baylor like, loses but, to Tennessee, who gets rocked by Virginia. Yeah. It's not a bad argument. I mean— it's not a bad argument at all. Yeah. So, again, 5-6. I think they, these two, though, are on a tier above Michigan and TCU, who are obviously our bottom two teams. Yeah. And I went Michigan 7, TCU 8, simply because TCU was the number one seed. And I think if you play that match against Kentucky 10 times, do they win it 7? Do they win it 8? Maybe. I mean, again, they had a day where Fernley lost. They had a yeah. day where Aguilar lost. They had a day where Jong lost. That does not happen very frequently, if at all. And, again... Credit to Kentucky, who wins that match. I think if you're TCU, you, especially with Virginia winning, and you know TCU beat Virginia yep. fairly comfortably at the National Indoors, fairly comfortably, yeah. not incredibly comfortably, yeah. but fairly, I think you're the ones kicking yourselves the most because this was the – you just feel like with the National Indoor Championships, this was the team. Yeah. I have Michigan last. Yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> it's it's not the worst. Like, it's pretty – especially because Michigan won the doubles point. And, like, yeah. They won the doubles point. This is a team they'd beaten twice this season. Yeah. And the score lines yeah. in some of those matches, particularly, like – Tracy you know, and Nino. I mean, and, Tracy at three and then uh, Boulay at five. Yeah, and Beattie. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. And Fenty. No, Tracy does that at times. But he didn't do it the next day. Yeah, that's true. You know, so, and Ian coming indoors for Fenty, you thought maybe he lost that first set, that could reset. I just thought that was a, a stinker of a match for Michigan. If you were able to see my face right now, if this was a live episode of The Deciding Point on our Cracked Records YouTube channel, you would see some discontent. It's because you're right. <laughs> TCU should be seven. Michigan should be eight. I'll make that correction to my list. All right. With that said, 
It's your men's final. Again, University of Virginia, fifth championship in program history, your 2022 NCAA men's tennis champions. Let's move now to the women's side. 4-1 scoreline, Texas earning back-to-back victories, joining Stanford, Florida, the only three programs in history to win back-to-back women's team titles. It was the fourth match iteration of the Red River rivalry that we saw this season. Of course, Texas versus Oklahoma was another. It's interesting how the score, you know, again, it was a 4-1 scoreline, which we had seen before at the National Indoors. In that instance, it was an Oklahoma victory. This was not your father's 4-1 match. This was a 4-1 match chock full of drama. This was a match where the quality of play and the drama we saw throughout was worthy of an NCAA championship. This was spectacular tennis. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, the doubles point was not. Yeah, that, you're right. <laughs> Bad opening 35 minutes. Yes. Every The singles provided precisely what you'd be looking for. Yeah, and this was points away from being another hour match yes. that was going to be a 4-3 Right, and credit to Texas for for making sure that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean Texas came out super strong in in the doubles, very similar to what we had seen with Virginia and Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, where it was just I mean breaks across the board out of the gate, and it just never felt like uh, Oklahoma could get any momentum back there. That was super quick, and then I thought Oklahoma rallied really well like they really have done all season to come out and and be really strong against texas in a lot of spots mm-hmm. um you know over you know overall staker getting on the board so quickly putting that point up for them i think it was one and one right it one and one in 35 minutes yeah, so which you almost ask yourself too quick like did they need her out there <laughs> uh no i'm just kidding but yeah, yeah. no she dominated uvrutsky yeah. and emma staker in my opinion, I was joking about this during the broadcast yesterday. I honestly might have given her most outstanding player. Like, without there being a clear-cut choice for Texas, and you can't give it to Peyton Stearns because she lost 1-0 and to Emma Navarro in the quarterfinals, yeah. was there a more outstanding player this event than Emma Staker? Yeah, Zamaripa should have gotten it, and she did. Okay, yeah, you're right. She clinches national championship, clinches North Carolina, clinches Virginia. Yeah. I don't know. Symbolically, though, Staker, you're right. Uh, here's, let me do the flip then. If Oklahoma wins, it's Staker, right? Yeah. Well, if Oklahoma wins, it could have, you know, come down to her probably, right, in uh, some match calculus. But but even yeah. if she went the one and True. one win, because yeah, she, she sort of embodies she, yeah. everything Oklahoma has done this season. And she got the 4-3 clinch for the last two days. That's what right. I'm saying. Exactly. No, you're right. You're right. And so she was excellent to your point. But, yeah, I guess we can start with the doubles. You're right. The first 15 minutes, I thought there were equal amounts of nervous energy from both Oklahoma and Texas, and it was not the particularly the highest level of play, but Texas was the team that it felt like returned first on a bunch of different courts, and as such, they had those early break leads, and you know, after those first 15 minutes, they did find their footing, and we talk about Oklahoma being 2-1 against Texas in the three prior matchups. Texas was 2-1 in the three prior doubles points, and the only doubles point Oklahoma took against Texas was at the National Indoors uh, back in February, of course, the two times they played outside. Texas won the doubles point. They were outside again yesterday. Texas earns the doubles point. 6-1 victory from Shavataman and and Collins over Pizarre and Sleeth, who, I mean, Shavatapan and Collins at two is just highway robbery. Like, the amount of power Texas brings at that position. And then, look, bringing back in Bella Zemaripa to that number three double spot, it did everything for this Texas team. And her and Zainalova, 6-2 victory over Donna Guzman, Emma Staker. 
50, again, I keep bringing up that 15-minute mark. It felt like something changed for Texas, and the nerves dissipated. And by the way, was, you know, Corley's uh, were down 3-4 to Zemaripa and Stearns at that number one spot. But it just felt like after that first 15-minute mark, from for the next hour 15 minutes, for those first sets of singles all the way through to when the Oklahoma push began, and we'll get to that Oklahoma push, Texas was the looser team, and Texas was – the national championship. They looked like the defending champs for that first hour 15. Yeah, they did. Certainly yeah, in doubles. After the I should say the, the first 15, from 15 to hour and a half, they looked like the defending national champs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's fair. I thought it was, a, it was a runaway train once those first 15 minutes were over in doubles. Uh, yeah, I mean, not much to add. I mean, they have some incredible doubles players, both the Zamaripa sisters. I think Bella at number three doubles doesn't get enough credit for coming in there and playing as well as she has for doubles. Allura Zamaripa is most outstanding player, not just because she's clinched those three doubles matches, but she's played excellent at one doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I just thought Texas had really elevated their doubles over the course of the season. No, I mean, again, they're up 1-0, yeah. and they had been up 1-0 in two of the, uh, in the previous two matches. And, I mean, look, the first sets of singles were far more competitive than they were in the Virginia-Kentucky match. And even in, you know, again, Texas, because Texas does ultimately end up taking, I believe it was, what, five, for, uh, four first sets, excuse me, on courts uh, one, three, four, and five. It wasn't as straightforward as the four first sets Virginia earned. For instance, on court number three, Corley was up a break 3-1 on Sabina Zainalova before Zainalova ripped off five straight yep. games. And, you know, again, I thought on court number uh, court number four, uh, not court number four as well, Guzman had started to find her footing by the end of that set. Court number five, certainly Sasha Pisareva had a million opportunities in both the first and second sets. To take to capture both sets. I mean, it was a five and six match at five. Clearly, both players had chances. That's why I thought you know the difference was with how lopsided Virginia won their first for, uh, four first sets. That match felt over. At the hour and a half mark, yes, Texas had the doubles point in four first sets. This match did not feel over because the Oklahoma push was starting, and at right around that hour and a half mark. Uh, Carmen Corley wins her first set, 7-5, over yep. Kylie Collins at 2. Simultaneously, at that moment, Emma Staker closes out her 1-1 one one victory to level the match at 1 apiece. Now, Sleeth Stearns we'll get to in a second. But you look for Oklahoma again. Uh, Ivana Corley at number 3 was up another 3-1 early break lead in the second set. Donna Guzman had started just eliciting unforced errors. Eliciting or soliciting? soliciting. Either way, soliciting. Thank you. Unforced errors after unforced error from Charlotte Shavatapan. She broke her. Like, Shavatapan cracked. Is midway through that second set. The unforced error just piled up. That was the best I'd seen Guzman play all season long. In. And again, Ivana Corley up a break 3-1. Carmen winning that first set, Staker on the board, and and Guzman making her push. Oklahoma made, as only Oklahoma could do, and it honestly did. There was a three-minute window where I did think to myself, oh, my God, Oklahoma's going to Oklahoma their way out of this match. I didn't know if they were going to do that, but I thought for sure they they made a massive second-set push that you just talked about, and it was like, well, we're all these are all going three sets. And, yeah, uh, and Oklahoma might need the majority of them, but we're going to be there. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, it was it was impressive for Oklahoma to make that push. Even more impressive was the way Texas closed the door. Well, you're absolutely right. But again, so much credit has to go to Oklahoma and Audra Cohen. And again, her team just no team 
embodies their coach's personality more than <laughs> Oklahoma and Audra Cohen because Audra's fight even at the end. You heard her volume level as a coach. You know, Ivana Corley, if I never have to hear another C in my life, not that I dislike it, I just need yeah. a day or two. But then Audra starts firing them up and down the court. Cobra's doing a, you know, a 40-yard dash back and forth between two and five yep. and six and three. And just, you know, yep. Jose's jumping around. And he came and almost gave me a high five in the broadcast booth <laughs> on one of his foot jumps. And just again, they made their push. Absolutely. And it would have been easier to roll over. Like, and that's just not what this team does. And we learned that all season long. And so it shouldn't have surprised us that they made a push after the doubles in the four first sets. But it's still remarkable always to see when you add in the additional caveat. They were without Om Chanta, their superstar freshman, who had been essential to them in their victories over Texas and or, uh, in their victories all season long, I should say. And just again, it did feel... As though perhaps this was the one match where more than anyone you would have loved her. Because just of how well Texas knows everyone in that lineup and how, you know, stable. You know, Chanta's at two. They're completely, which she was lined up in, in the initial NCA submitted lineup. Yeah. You're just getting new matchups that we didn't see before. You know, Corley and whichever Z she faced. I don't remember if it was Lova or Ripa. Uh, yeah. At three. They had played before. And that was a straight set victory for Texas there when they played in the Big 12 championship not that long ago. Or maybe it was no. a Big 12 championship for yeah, regular Shanta season. Shanta had beaten Zanilova at the Big 12 yeah, championship. Yeah, but then, but then the match before those two had played. So, again, it's just a different matchup there. And, you know, Corley and Collins, yeah, they had played a bunch of times. And Corley was 2-1 and one in that match. Match, but you don't have to see that matchup again. You can move Carmen down if Chanta's at that spot. Now, we haven't talked about Peyton Stearns. I just want to remind everyone, on Friday, she lost 6-1-6-0 to, pay, uh, to Emma Navarro. She won one game in a match. She's the number two player in the country. She won one game in a match. Her last three, four sets against Lane Sleeth. 6-love, six 6-love, six 6-love, six 6-2. So I know Emma Navarro is the talk of the town, and that's the certainly something we'll be watching for most closely in individuals. But when I think about the Sleeth-Stearns match, all I can think is Peyton Stearns hitting from whatever position she wanted on the court, her feet completely set under her, and just working Sleeth with her forehand. And that weapon, that forehand, how comfortable she is moving it around the court and being the aggressor moving forward— I mean, she was so amazing. Like, she was excellent. And just, again, to have that presence at the top of your lineup, she's the girl. Like, she's the one for this team who she was the sophomore returner. And she just hit another gear this year. As good as she was last season, in an MLS world, she's the girl this year. Yeah, and she showed that level of locked-in consistency yeah. within the scope of the entire match. That yeah was missing at some points last season. Well, Sleeth that, like, had her break point chances. At the, Sleeth didn't hold serve once. Yeah. And Sleeth had her break chances and was 2-3 uh, you know, on break or whatever, on serve in that second set, and just could not hold serve. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough matchup for yes. Sleeth. And, you know, and she had just played incredible tennis in both their quarterfinals and the semifinals, beating Carson Bransing from A&M yes. and then Chloe Beck from Duke. Yes, and that Beck win was particularly impressive with how much she just seemed to frustrate Beck. Totally. And in a on-paper world, you can think, man, Peyton, big hitter. Mm-hmm. Sleeth could just frustrate her. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not as easy to go out there and play someone that you just beat 0-0, mm-hmm. as it might seem, yeah. right? With the pressure knowing that that's a point Texas requires. Absolutely. You know, and so for her to do that was incredibly impressive. That was what, that's the Peyton we saw from quarterfinals onward last year. 
and it's the Peyton we saw from the semifinals and finals here. Absolutely. She was so impressive. And again, I want to get to the Texas freshmen last because they were the biggest takeaway from the match. One other thing I want to talk about before we get there. This is the second consecutive year. They're not going to get a point on the board. They're not going to be a part of the all-tournament team. We talked about the Pedroso brothers, the Texas men's team. Elliot Spaziri, Siam Waldeeb, Cleve Harper, Richard Siamara. I apologize if I'm forgetting anyone. Micah Braswell, I think, was there as well. That's the last one. They were so good, so good at cheering for their team. And we talked about the symbiosis uh, between, you know, like that, and I was just kind of screaming in, between the Virginia men's and women's teams yes. and how important that is. Mm -hmm. Texas is on that tier as well. Yep. And I don't, you know, I think in the moment, and this might have even been our last pod, we said no one does it as well as Virginia. That's not true. Texas does do it as well as this Virginia team. And again, I know the, the Texas women would love to be able to do that for the Texas men. They haven't had that chance to show it in the way that both of these uh, Virginia teams have. But CM Waldy may have lost his voice last night. Like, again, and a, another chance, if I never have to hear, oh, I actually, there are two chants I love. Texas fight is very fun. Also, just whenever they win a point, Howard Joffe, and I think I mentioned this yesterday as well, just goes, Texas! Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's maybe my favorite thing that he just yells Texas and like nothing else. It's just Texas! Um, it's delightful. Yeah. Um, they played a role. Like, they helped, especially during that Oklahoma push, they helped Texas stay steady and not overreact and just do all these things that they had to do. Absolutely. I mean, that big Texas push was happening. I mean, the Oklahoma push was happening in courts three and five, mm -hmm. right? You had Ivana Corley. I think she was up 5-1 yeah. in that second set. And then you had Pisareva up throughout that second set looking to take that second set. And they were planted right there between those three courts. Mm -hmm. And they made sure Zanilova got over the line. Mm -hmm. She had her comeback win. They were right there in front of that court for Zamaripa's clinch throughout that end of the tiebreak in the, the later stage of that second set. Just like last year where they were cheering them on during that Pepperdine final. I mean, it was so fun. And again, in particular for Sabina Zanilova, it felt, you know, how many times you're, let's go Sabs! Yeah. And just as a freshman, you could tell Zanilova, Taylor Fogelman was working those courts. At a certain point, she stopped looking at Taylor. Mm -hmm. And it was looking to the guys' teams. And yeah. again, to be able to provide that boost, last year was for the freshman Stearns, who was down a first set but got gets over the hump against Ashley Leahy. Fifth year Ashley Leahy. Exactly. exactly. You yep. can see how valuable it is for freshmen in particular. And then... You know, again, with that in mind, let's talk about the, the Texas freshmen. Zainalova, Zemaripa, 3-5, and five, not to be disrespectful to Vrutsky, who obviously had a spectacular season. But again, these freshmen against an Ivana Corley, who's a senior, against a Sasha Pisareva, who's the junior, against two players who they had seen, you know, multiple times throughout the course of the season, it was the freshmen who were the steadier of the group. And just, you know, again... Ivana Corley kept attacking. She kept trying to take every ball early yep. on the rise. Zanilova allowed her to do said, okay, go for it. Yep. You, you hit your shots. You don't hit the approach shot big enough that I'm going to always have a look at a, at a pass. And whether it was the two-shot passing shot combinations, whether it was Corley flopping some volleys that indoors, I think she ends up making. There were certain – or maybe not indoors – but not at 10 p.m. under the lights. Like there sure. were definitely some 10 p.m. under the lights overhead misses yep. for sure. At the same time, Zanilova put her in that position each and every time. Zanilova gave her nothing for free and just, I mean, three and six, especially with how well she executed. She was just so clearly the steadier of the two players in that second set breaker. It's impossible to be anything but immensely impressed with the performance of Zanilova. 
I mean, there was a reason she was my MVP, right? Yeah. Early in the, uh, when we were doing that uh, earlier this season. I mean, just to come back from 5-1 down, right? It could have been very easy to say, look, this set is gone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on the third set. But then that gives Oklahoma this momentum. Everyone yeah. starts seeing Zanilova fighting back in that second set, clawing her way back. And that was huge momentum. And she's been clutch 3-0 yeah. right here, quarterfinals, semifinals and that match and just the the defense that she possesses the athleticism the chasing down Ivana's you know lasers left and right hitting those passing shots those lobs Um, I mean she just threw everything Ivana threw everything at her and she had answers for everything it was so impressive and again didn't let the C's get to her head didn't let Oklahoma make their momentum yeah exactly and so it was just (laughs) it was just so impressive by, by her and then Allura's Emma Ripa who the lefty, she's the lefty or Zanilova the lefty? Am I no, blanking here? Zemmerich Zemmerich was lefty. lefty. Yeah, yeah, okay. See, you gave me a look that made me thought I made a mistake. I didn't. Shout out to the first instinct, as always. Oh, my God, is she smooth. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, is she fun to watch. Like, again, talk about a player whose game style you just think, give her one year of college training and one year of all of these things, and how good is she going to be the next season? She is so good. Yeah. She is so good. And Pisareva played great. Like, Pisareva threw everything at her. Yep. And look, there were three overrules in the match. Like, Pisareva tried to get funky with it. And I'm not saying, I'm not questioning Pisareva's integrity. I'm saying gamesmanship, energy, doing all the extracurricular things you can do as a tennis player to try and frustrate your opponent. And just, not that I'm saying she made the bad calls to try and frustrate them. I want to make that clear. And I would never accuse the Oklahoma team of doing something like that. I'm just saying there were opportunities for uh, Zemaripa to be frustrated, to lose her composure. Five and it's a second set breaker. You are playing as the freshman to clinch a national championship, a back-to-back title for your program. She didn't blink once. She didn't make an unforced error. Or maybe she made one in that second set breaker. I mean, again, the lefty can move forward. She can hit the slice. She can hit the angles on the stretch. And when she's sliding, I think, is when she's at her most dangerous and most special she was excellent, Jay. Just excellent for this Longhorn team. Yeah, she was outstanding. I had it. I tweeted something out earlier this week about the depth yeah. in women's college tennis. I was watching her match versus Heba Shake from Virginia when I tweeted that yeah. out. She's excellent. She's been nails. Tan Gillick clinches in the semifinals. Shake clinches in the quarterfinals. Now here against Pisareva clinches in the finals. You're so right. Like again. And the, all of those matches you could have put on court one or two. A hundred percent. And she hasn't been in this position, That's right? It's crazy. not like she's been. She hasn't even been playing consistently in yeah. the lineup all season. I know she's been hurt, um, but just an, an incredible performance from her. I mean, you know, we knew last year's class of Stearns, Collins, Shavathapan, Rapalu, right from the get. We were like, wow, these are impressive freshmen. We didn't really know Zainalova and Zamaripa. They got were injured in the fall, so we didn't see them in action. Mm-hmm. They were, were coming back into the lineup. I mean, Zainalova has been that good all season, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen as much from certainly not both sisters, but um, Allura as well. So mm-hmm. to do this in your first NCAA final with all the pressure being a defending champion on a team you weren't on, right? And you don't want to let these other sophomores, the, the sophomores down. Just remarkably impressive. Yeah, I mean, again, when you look for this team, and I mean, 
up and down the board. And Mike Cation goes, that was the most Alex Gruskin thing you've ever done, Alex. And I was like, what do you mean? Because after the match, immediately I go, hey, this Texas team had three sophomores and three freshmen, not a single upperclassman in the starting lineup of their national championship winning performance. Yep. We're talking three-peat now. We're talking potential four-peat. We're talking maybe an all-time little mini blip of a dynasty. A mini blip, I say a blip of a dynasty here. Yeah. A little four-year stretch that happens in college tennis from time to time. Well, Sometimes you just yeah. find a group that sticks, such yeah. as the Virginia Three or, and, or, or the, the USC, USC Four, four yeah. of course, as well. And Stanford, Stanford, a million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really the Florida Two because it's like that group with uh, Embry and Embry, whatever. Yeah. that It was 11 and 12, right? Yep. I think that they won back-to-back. Um, yeah, like you see these blips. Again, Texas has, and again, I was like, I'm already looking to next. I'm like, are they going to three-peat? He's yeah. like, of course the championship ended four minutes ago, and you're asking, are they going to three-peat? But isn't that the question we have to ask now? Because I know Brant Meyer, and we've already said it, Abby Forbes are going to UNC. Pepperdine's getting everyone. Stanford's getting everyone. There are a lot of reloads over the next season. You yeah. know, a lot of teams at Virginia might bring back just about everyone if Emma Navarro does decide to come back next season. There are going to be a lot of teams once again in the mix. This was a, do- a down year for UCLA. We know they'll, you know, we figure the West Coast will factor more into things moving forward as well. That said, isn't doesn't Texas have to be your number one going into next season? Unequivocal favorites, even if Stearns leaves. I mean, if Stearns leaves, it's you know that's a new formula, sure for sure. I don't know who plays one. Yeah. In that situation, I think what was most interesting about this team is I think last year's team was better. And the reason I say that is because... Well, Howard Joffe was very open about it, saying in January and February, you know, he said this twice, once in our tennis, one interview, once in a post-match press conference, he said, look, and he... uh, Shout out to Howard, who alluded to a question I asked him in the post in his post turning. He goes, you know, I was asked in the press box, and I was like, by me. <laughs> um, but he goes, uh, you know, he goes, if you would have asked me, even in February, would you rather buy a hundred thousand dollars in lottery tickets or place a hundred thousand dollar bet that this team wins the championship? He said, give me the lottery tickets. Yeah. Like I did not think with all the injuries, the ankles, the shoulders, that this team would be able to click because last year's team clicked from the get go. Yep. You know, Lulu Sun. Obviously, to you know, yeah. was as good as any you know to Stern, Shavatapan, Lulu, uh, Collins, Rapalu, Tarati. You know, Tarati was the senior player at two that helped push all of those freshmen down, let them work their way into form. This year, there was none of that. Yeah. This year was yeah, we have Stearns at one, but like what you know, everyone two through whatever is the same. So how are we going to figure that out? Were they better? That's an interesting question. Well, let me give you the reason yeah. why. Because you just listed all those players for Texas last year. Yeah. Roll the balls out. We can get points from any single one of them yes. on, on any given day. This team got three points, yeah. was very defined. They were getting double Zainalova and Zamaripa. Those are the three points they got. And, and it was Stearns. And yeah. if it wasn't Stearns on the one day, it was Shavatapan. Yeah. Right? That was pretty much it. Yeah. And so... For me, the path is a little bit more narrow. It was almost Kentucky-like in that they knew where their points were going to come from. That's why I say I think last year's team was better. I think the field was at that top deeper. I mean, we had the fifth years. We had the extra scholarship players last year. You know, so I was more impressed by the run last year. This felt like they had the know-how. And even if they weren't playing as well, right, like Shavathman had been struggling this season, step up in the big moments. Um, but overall, I, you know. I do think this is the more impressive of the two titles. If I, 
I, oh, I disagree. Really? Yeah. Last year's draw was a cakewalk. They didn't have to play a serious team until they played Pepperdine <laughs> in the final. No disrespect to NC State. Sorry, Simon. But NC State had never been there before. Sure. And last year's NC State. But I mean, neither year, had the, all these freshmen for Texas. Yeah, but I just think this one was more impressive because of the way they went through Virginia and the way they went through in the semifinals. Uh, not Duke, but whoever. North you, UNC. And just, yeah. again, they didn't. There was no ducking. There was no dodging. And then to beat Oklahoma in a fourth match when you're yep. one and two against them, I thought this was clearly the more difficult pathway to the championship. It definitely was. And then to win it with the freshmen, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the three freshmen with, uh, you know, with Shavatapan up and down as she was during the year, of course, and as we learned from Howard, that was injury related. Yeah. And then the depth of the field. I just, again, I think you're right. I think last year's team was better. I think this year's run was more impressive. I think we can. I would agree on that. Yeah, we yeah. agree. Yeah, we yeah. okay. Good. Yeah. See, I, you convinced me though. You are right. I do think last year's team was yep. better, and you could tell from the start, like last year's team again at the national indoors. North Carolina and Texas were so much better than everyone else, and Pepperdine got there eventually, yep. and certainly outdoors helps. But I agree. I think this was, and we are in agreement here. So with that in mind, final exercise here as we put our bow on the 2022 college tennis season and. Hot damn, was this impossible. Oh, no, no, no. One more thing we have to do because we didn't do the Outlook Oklahoma. Oh. Guzman's healthy, and she looked so much better in that final. And I think going into the offseason, that's just something to build around, which is nice to have. Now, you look at this team, sounds like Chante is going to be coming back, which we love to hear, obviously. Maybe I'm wrong. You can tell me, Audra. I'm sure you you have my number. Um, Corley's gone. Ivana. But is she? I think so, right? Because I was told she was a senior. She is a senior, but she has an extra year. Okay. There was the the, the Corley clan last night, the Corley uh, no, group. Yeah, no, uh, again, it, I think that's fair. They are the best cheering section. <laughs> like, again, when you get the Corleys, you get all of them. And I think that's what makes them so exceptional. Yes. But, yes, go on. So there, uh, was, there were rumblings? There were rumbling of, like, using the COVID year. Okay. So I have nothing confirmed, but there were rumblings for sure. And uh, why not? All I have to say, Audra, is if Parsa breaks this story... I will be furious with you. Like, come on. Who do you like better, me or Parsa? Let us know if Ivana's coming back. So you get the Corley. Everyone's back then. The Corley's. Everyone's back. So then you get Peace Rava back, and you get Chanta back. Again, this team. Now, here's the thing. I have never been able to draw a more clear parallel to this year's Oklahoma team and last year's Texas team. Like, they are, in my mind, it's the same thing, only this year's Oklahoma team was a little bit better. But, like, the way Texas last year 4-3 everything, the Texas men. You mean men. The okay. Texas men. Yeah, I apologize. I thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're giving analogy. me a look. Texas men who brought back everything, again, pretty much this season as well. But last year was 4-3 after 4-3 after 4-3 after 4-3. Everything broke the way of the Texas men last year. This year was precisely the opposite. It was injury after injury, and the 4-3 losses that they took, just about nothing broke right for the Texas men this season. Is there any concerns? Here's why I'm less concerned when it comes to Oklahoma. Sorry, I'm asking you questions and answering them as I go. You know this by now. Um, Is just how much, yes, 4-3 inherently lucky as a result. At the same time, the energy and the spirit Oklahoma plays with and the toughness they show and the resolve in those 4-3 matches, that doesn't feel lucky. That feels duplicable. Like, it just feels like the culture has been established, and next year, those 4-3 wins maybe turn into 4-2, maybe turn into 4-1. Maybe there's more comfort margin. Now, again, it does feel like this was a team in Oklahoma that got through, you know, again— 4-3, 4-3 4-3, 4-3 in their two matches to get to the final. Yes, without Chanta, but I guess outlook-wise, 
is there any concern that it's a Texas men type season where, you know, again, you're seven players deep, eight players, someone gets injured, it does screw off the whole calculus, and you won so many 4-3 matches last year? I guess, do you see the comparison? Not at all. Okay, good. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> uh, good. Not at all. I mean, look, the, the Texas men this year were decimated by injuries. Yeah. Right? And, like, you know, it's not like they were all healthy. It's the same guys from last year, and they're just not finding the ways to win. That wasn't it. They didn't even have the guys on the court, right? So, yeah, of course, if the Oklahoma women suffer injuries to their number one player, if Sleeth is out there hitting slice backhands all the, all day, like, yeah, the Oklahoma women are going to take a step back. Yeah. In absence of assuming they're going to get injured, yeah. I have no concerns about Oklahoma regressing in any way, but it is a very different position to be in to be hunting than it is to be hunted. Yeah. And now everyone knows that Oklahoma is here. They're a national title contender and everybody will want to beat them 4-0. That's such an excellent way of putting it because Audra Cohen is so good at hunting. Like again, no one's personality is more prepared for making this sort of breakthrough than her and teaching your team we belong here. Yep. Now everyone knows you belong there, yep. and you're absolutely right. Will there be the North Carolinification of things where it's just you're a front runner now, and as such, there is pressure on your shoulders in everything you do. Now, again, I can't imagine a culture, a program better designed, better built to handle the pressures of being a front runner than Oklahoma because in her mind, Audra Cohen, well, I wonder if she thinks she's a front runner or an underdog. That'd be a good question. Do you consider yourself a front runner or the underdog? She'll never tell you front runner. Oh, that's a lie though, because she's a two-time national, like or two times, one time. Am I blanking here on the singles? Two time, right? She won two singles. I think she won it once. Yeah, won it once with Miami. You're right. I think I'm wrong, but she's a national champion. She's a winner in everything she does. That's not an underdog. That's a front runner, and I do think she will be ready to help make that transition. But it's just they have front runner energy. They have main character energy. It feels like. Oh, see, I think they could be, you know, she could be number one in the country and she will feel like an underdog. She will feel like even in her playing days, I don't necessarily have all the weapons. Well, I don't think that's underdog. I think that's a don't take it for granted sort of mindset. Like treat yourself like the underdog, but think you're the favorite, if that makes sense. Yeah. Treat yourself the underdog, have the belief that you're the favorite. Yes, exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Look, I like this. We're talking intangibles about uh, yeah, this is great when we're breaking down personalities. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, y- y- this team has it. Um, the one thing that they have going into next season is those three runner-up trophies. Yeah, and that, and that will keep them extremely hungry. There may be a bonfire in Norman that burns for an hour, <laughs> or burns for days, and it's just the trophies set on fire. Uh, but all right, with that in mind, final exercise. Here we go. Top eight. Texas one, Oklahoma two. There's no discussion. They're worthy finalists. Has to be your top two in that order, by the way. Mm-hmm. Three? Well, by the way, we were doing most impressive teams. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay. I have uh, Virginia three. And you want my <laughs> argument or do you want to give me your three first? Yeah, I want to hear your argument because I think you might be right. So my argument is that they played Texas as close as anybody. You don't say they played Texas! <laughs> <laughs> Fist bump. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, they were a double set away from taking that doubles <laughs> point, which none of the, no other school was that close. Yeah. They take, I mean, they crush at one and two singles. Yeah, and Ziodato was up at six. Zio, that would have been the recipe, right? Yeah. That's close. And and obviously, Zanilova and Zamaripa, I mean, those were matches that were close, but, I mean, they took them against anyone else. So, yeah. for me, it was Virginia. Um, I thought they were, like, a hair away uh, potentially, and then I think, okay, they play North Carolina, who they'd beaten. Um, so for me, they were three. It's a good argument. 
I'm torn. I have UNC at three right now. That's wrong because you're right. I asked for most impressive. I didn't do this correctly. Um, oh, boy. I'm going to go a and I'm going to stick with my guns here over Virginia. But I do think Virginia needs to move up to my number four spot there. And I'm should have beaten Oklahoma. They should have. Like, again, Makarova, who earned a 2-0 victory today over Arena Contos, she let her rolling her ankle get to her head. And, of course, it's going to happen to anyone. But she was cruising through that first set at two. They took five first sets against Oklahoma in singles after dropping just their third doubles point of the season, but first relevant doubles point of the season, as we discussed yesterday. Makarova takes her first loss of the year. Like, again, I know they don't earn a top 10 win, but their two losses on the year were both 4-3, both coming down to deciding matches on court number six. Like, I think if you play this NCAA tournament 10 times, Texas A&M is one of the teams that ends up as a national champion. I really do. And so I saw it. They had the depth. What Gianna Pilette was able to do at the number five spot against Oklahoma, you, like that was the swing match. They got their swing win after dropping doubles. They just let it get away. And I do think part of that is the strength of schedule. Like They beat everyone really comfortably throughout the course of the year. I am sure if you ask Mark Weaver with retrospect, and hopefully we'll have the chance to do this this offseason, he would be like a 4-3 loss, not just Cal, but like a 4-3 loss to a number six Georgia during the SEC season would have really helped us just to put these players in these positions. I thought AM had a good enough team to win the championship this year. And I, I really, again, that they ended up in the quarterfinals, like I would have taken them over Duke, over NC State, over Virginia. Man. I should say over Pepperdine, but I Pepperdine, we're deleting that podcast immediately from the start of the season, Jay. So we're burning it metaphorically with those second place Oklahoma trophies. Um, I think they're th- like I I was thoroughly impressed by them. They had the depth, like they other than Brandstein at one, who on the right day can beat anyone. But I think on other days you'll take a Navarro or a Stearns, and how solid they are. Obviously, Elaine Sleeth over her at that one spot. Not meaning to disrespect you, Carson, um, but two through five, two through six, I thought AM was as good as anyone. I mean, their performances at five and six were extremely impressive. Morales looked Oklahoma. great, Morales even in the loss. Great. Pilette, who hadn't won a match in like her last seven matches, comes out and beats Pizzareva. So clutch. Just played lights out. Yeah. And I think that was a shock to Oklahoma. Yeah. I think after they took the doubles point, they were feeling really good. For sure. I'll say this about Texas AM it is disappointing that that match was indoors. So disappointing. And if we replay this 10 times, maybe the reason they win is because we actually get to go outdoors. 100%. Look, this is not the NCAA indoors. This should be played outdoors. This is a program that doesn't have indoor courts. It's it's a shame, right? Given how strong they came out in singles, why I don't have them where you have them is because they lose the doubles point, which is their most reliable point, one of the most reliable points overall in the country. And then they 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 falter. Yeah. Right. They falter um, after winning those five first sets. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree with you there. And you know, again, that to me is why they have to be up this high because they looked on the level, and we just weren't that sure. We just weren't sure if they were on the level. They and weren't like on the level. No, they were on the level. They five lost four three. Sets, not you know not on the level. No, that's on the level. That's not being. At the level. They're on it. They're in the group. They On, at, or not synonyms in this scenario? <laughs> no, they're not, okay? Um, you know we word choice is very particular here at Cracked Rackets. They belong in this tier. Like, they were, 
they were worthy quarter. They were one of the eight. Like they, I do think 100%. they, as much as anyone else, could have won this event. A hundred percent. And that's why, to me, they were most impressive because we, just, again, we weren't a hundred percent sure with them uh, because of the strength of schedule. I think they have to be three, and I'd put them three. Virginia four. Where are they on your list? I'm curious. Eight. No. Okay. No. Uh, they're six. Who's eight? That's gonna be interesting. Oh, here. Okay. I think eight's fairly obvious. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll get there. All right. I have A and M three. You convinced me. I move Virginia up to four. Who's your four? North Carolina. I move them down to five after your convincing Virginia case. <sighs> Man. I mean, we talk a lot of North Carolina all year long. I don't know if I have anything else to add. Anything? No. Yeah. It's we just, talked about their loss yesterday. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Okay, go check out the other podcast if you yep. want to hear it. Pepperdine six? Or I Pepperdine five? Yep. They're my six. They're another one. Everything you just said about A&M, if you play this tournament outside, they're winning it at least one of the ten times. I would say more than one. Yeah. I mean, they were looking so good. Janice yeah. Chen was looking. The fact that Janice Chen is not in this NCAA singles tournament joke. is absurd. It's a joke. I mean, the way that she took apart Cam Moore at one, yeah. Savannah Brodus is playing at another level, beating, you know, it's uh, a joke. Fiona Crawley. Fakuda's playing great at 2-2. Two, two. Fakuda's playing great. Look, the only person who's playing poorly in their lineup right now is Vicky Flores. Like, Lisa Zara 3 was yep. excellent. Redelick at 6 was excellent in that yep. match against Yarlagata. Yeah. And maybe you say doubles isn't that strong. Yeah. I mean, Brodus and Chen are great. Look, they were the team for me coming into this after the form the they wild showed card. against USC. Sure. And Miami. I mean, that's why I picked them, but that doesn't go too far. I think yeah. that Pachkaleva injury is just it's horrible. Yeah. And really tough. If Taya plays, do you think they beat UNC? I don't know. So I actually don't think... Indoors. It's, I think it's I indoors know, it's more the than indoor, outdoors. It's 100%, the indoors 100%, thing 100%. more than it is yep. Pachkaleva missing. I actually don't think it necessarily helped hurt the matchups. 100%. Um, it was the indoors versus outdoors. I couldn't agree with you yep. more. All right. Six then for you. You said A&M. Yep. They were semifinalists. I think Duke is seven because, like, they just kind of did what Duke does. Like, yeah. they won where they were supposed to win. Yeah. Drummy won. Chen won. You know, again, Beck won the first day and they won doubles, and yep. that's how they advanced 4-3 over NC State. If yep. Beck wins that second set against Sleeth, maybe they do that same thing and they rock it up this list. Yep. But, like, I mean, I'm in on Ellie Coleman and Emma Jackson. Like, Emma Jackson was excellent in singles. I'm in on Coleman as a doubles player for sure, and I want to see more for her from the singles perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're hearing some rumors going around of who they're going to add next season. We already know Brianna Schwetz is one. They're going to add a new piece as well that we both know is good as at two. Are they the ACC? I mean, UNC. Oh, my God. For, yeah, UNC and Virginia is going to be. If they bring back um, Emma. Oh, my God. Yeah. But look, I got, yeah, I got this memo loud and clear from people. We've talked about the ACC Enough. a lot. We just had an all-Big 12 final. Yeah, that's true. You know? We did we did 30 minutes on the Big 12. Also, didn't we spend all year being like Oklahoma State, Kansas, Texas Tech? Like, didn't we I do that pro- every show? Baylor? Like, didn't I do that? Like, even freaking TCU and Kansas State weren't bad. The Iowa State team, we mentioned that every season. Yeah, we also probably mentioned North Carolina every... Well, of course. <laughs> Guess what? They had five quarterfinalists. Like, no, I know. We talked about four quarterfinalists, right? And, yeah. And we have an all-Big 12 final. I, You know, I'm just trying to represent both sides You're here. right. Big 12, get four quarterfinalists. We'll talk about you more. (laughs) Don't yell at us. Enough yelling at John. Yell at me. Don't yell at Jay. I do the program. Actually, who sets the outline? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Folks, who do you think sets the up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if any of you have seen how scatterbrained I am, the answer is Westoff. Um, all right, eight is NC State. Yes. And this isn't calling them unimpressive. This was just you win the doubles point, A, you're higher up on this list against a, if you beat the win the doubles point against Duke. Yeah, I mean, they were living and dying by the doubles point all season. Yeah. Yeah, Dianu, yeah. as we say in my culture. Well, all right. With that said, team tournament officially in the books. Any strong individual thoughts before we rock and roll? The men's draws are ridiculous. Silly. And by the way, Riffis Shelton wins over Kingsley and Styler 5-2 and two for each of them, by the yes. way. Are we going to get an all-Florida final in the men's singles? I like. I think they're pissed in the best way. Like I oh, think yeah. Riffis and Shelton are ready to dominate everyone, and Sam in particular looked Excellent today against, against Cannon, Cannon in that yep. first set and yep. kind of broke Cannon's spirit in set number two as well. well can we just give a shout-out to I, Cannon? <laughs> I'm I mean, so crushed. Kid hasn't won a match at NCAAs in, yeah. in individuals. And, plays Will Blumberg last and year. And he's one of the ten best players of the past two 100%. years. And, it's not even and an American. Right? Yeah, that, it's like, devastating. You know, so I, have, I suggested this rule change to Colette. I don't know if I suggested it to you as well, but you're really good at telling me when I'm being stupid. Allow, you know how we use substitutions and lineup mm. changes in college tennis. Coaches get to swap out their players based on preferred matchups if you get multiple people into the NCAA tournament. So today, Trotter played Teddy Paralek. Ty goes, eh, sorry, James. Cannon's going to take that match now. Uh, obviously, mm. Baylor would be like, like oh, well, we're going to switch it again. To the yeah, exactly, or whatever it may be. Do you like it? There's too many dominoes yeah. that would fall, right? It would be a whole new draw. Yeah. So there'd be no draw integrity. Yeah. But there already isn't. Yeah, so. that's, well, that gets to me. That's my point yeah. here. Is it that different? Like, yeah. that's what I'm saying. And so, no, it's, I mean, brutal. 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 On the women's side, no Chen. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we and, doing? And, I mean, I will say this. I was watching the Cannon Kingsley Sam Riffis match. The match next to it is James Trotter, Teddy Paralek. Yeah. James Trotter didn't even play in the NCAA team uh, tournament. Yeah, and he wasn't injured. Right. Yeah. Like, we really need to be rethinking this. I mean, we have players who play a few matches in the fall and qualify for yeah. NCAAs and vice versa. Players that don't play much in the fall and play three in the lineup and don't make it to NCAAs. These are not the 64 best players, and it absolutely should be. Yeah, it was unfortunate, to say the least, certainly. But, I mean, again, with all of that in mind... You want to make picks? Men's singles? Are you going chalk? Are you going for the singles in general, Navarro Shelton? That was my preseason. Those were my preseason picks. And Lock I see, them. Don't change. Yeah, yeah. I see no reason to change. Dubs? Uh, ODU on the women's side. Startup save us, Esnaskaya. Yeah. That, I mean, these are my preseason picks. Yeah. Who did I go on the men? Walton Harper. Repeat. No, I want Shelton cash votes all. Not a bad pick, by the way. Like, God, would that be good for everyone's mental health at Ohio State if they get a national championship? Yeah, I here. just, I don't, I don't see, I don't feel the mojo Man. on that one. So you can change, by the way. It's open for you. You want to take Shelton Riffis? No. No. You want to take um, Walton Harper? No. no. La Bass? No. Per, uh, Soto Mizuchi? I'll, I'll make this call. It's going to be a, a team. Finn Merge, was, Finn McLean Merchant? It's going to be a team that was not in the in the team. Shachter Taylor? Um, yeah, I'm just naming all the I'm names I'm just going to name some. Fenty Ehrenschneider? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just go with the field. Anyone who wasn't okay. in the team Elite Eight, okay. I'm taking. I like that women's side. Oh, do you? You're sticking with them. Yeah. I mean. All right. I hate them. Who are you taking? You're not making them. I can't. I'm, i got to make my okay. picks at the end. Um, I'll say this. Sam and Ben looked really good. That would be my initial takeaway. And I'll also say this. If she's healthy, 
Hell hath no fury. It feels like like a scorn Tatiana Makarova. Like I could see a run from her if she's healthy now after losing that first dual match in the fashion she did. Final week on the job. I think she wants to yeah. go in the right way. Two and zero over Contos to yeah. start today. Yeah. It's a puzzler. It's a brain scratcher. But yeah, but I'm, I'm pulling for that Navarro Stearns yeah. match. Part three. Or part two. Part excuse two. Me. Part two. I mean, that's the one we deserve. If they were doing a game spread, is it minus seven and a half games after that one and zero performance in the team? <laughs> I mean, when are we making the spread? Now or like before the final? <sighs> I mean, to win a triple crown. By the way, you know, for, there's no chance for, I don't think Virginia got a doubles team in. Because they played around with their pairings too frequently. Virginia women? Men. Oh. So I don't think they can win the Triple Crown. Yeah. Can Texas? I don't think Texas got a doubles team in either. Probably On the not. women's side because yeah. they played around so yeah. much. So I don't think they can win the Triple Crown as a program. No Triple Crowns this year. <laughs> like every other year. No. You clearly don't remember Matthias Booker. That's yeah. fine. Um, no, I'm just screwing with you. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm team Triple Crown. As you know, I love it. The history I of mean, it. I mean, it's a shame Stevie never got it. <sighs> no. Peter Smith was right to pull him and Kiroz out of the doubles. He had nothing left that senior year. He wanted to win the singles. That was more important to end on the singles streak. Do we want to do this? And you want to no, win the game? No, oh, yeah. I'm just saying right. big picture. No, yeah. fair, fair and balanced. All right, with all of that said, a shout-out to everyone who made this national championship NCAA experience so special, and I said I was going to save some in-person flattery for you, Jay. I would not have been on the broadcast this year. We at Cracked Rackets would not have the opportunities we're able to have, not just in men's college tennis, but in women's college tennis as well, without your efforts, your continued week-in, week-out consistency, sending the outline to Westoff and I every Monday, showing up every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time. The only time we had to change the schedule is when I had to change the schedule. Not once, Jay, did you miss a show. And again, I hope the reception you've gotten here throughout the course of the few days is reflective of that fact. How appreciative I know every coach, every player is, every time. And for some reason, <laughs> never mind, I was going to say, oh, whatever. I'm fortunate enough to be on the receiving end of a lot of compliments here at this college tennis. And again, that's a testament to Daniel Westoff, Dalton Thieneman as well for what we're trying to build here at Crack Rackets. We just wouldn't be able to do it without you, my friend. So again, we still have more podcasts to go here in this 2022 season, but I hope you enjoyed your team experience. I hope you're receiving the love you deserve because we will not have been able to have the fun we did throughout this team season, take our content to the next level without your contribution. So with that in mind, final thoughts go to you, my friend. I'm not blushing. I'm just sunburned. <laughs> uh, no, but I appreciate that. It's been an absolute blast to do this. And I'm excited to be part of the team moving forward and do more stuff with you guys. Yeah. So um, it's been a blast. I appreciate everybody coming up and, and sharing their comments, their feedback. Um, it's, been a, it's been a blast. And we take that feedback to heart by the way, and we said this last show, but sincerely, players, coaches, fans who have come up and said their hellos means the world to us. And again, that's why we do this, is to try and bring this college tennis community together. So again, on behalf of all of us, thank you so much. Massive shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. Been editing job to do as always. We said, are we going to get a half an hour out of this, Jay? We got an hour 26 yeah. <laughs> uh, out of this podcast in the end. And again, all of our stuff wouldn't be possible without this polish that comes on it from super producer Daniel Westoff. And a massive shout out as well, obviously, to our friends at tennis point who allow us to go daily do the stuff we like to do here at cracked rackets provide coverage not just of the highest levels of tennis not just of the most basic levels but of course of the nitty and gritty things like the challenger level futures circuit and of course here the collegiate level as well with all that said again super podcast with david kane coming tomorrow we'll talk all things french open first round for now for the fantastic co-host of this show john j parsons our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners that's a break and we will see you all tomorrow thank you as always my friend